Welcome to Emerge Dynamics. Emerge Dynamics. The podcast for those who manage and invest in middle market private companies across the globe. globe. We're telling the stories of the unsung champions who take enormous risks every day to weave the fabric of our societies. Those who collectively, from the multi-trillion dollar largest market on the planet, we're diving into the dynamics of what makes some of them emerge from their peers and create incredible returns and impact on their communities. This is Emerge Dynamics. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Emerge Dynamics podcast. I am David Cusimano here with Eric Wingerter. All right, David. Here we are once again. Once Ready again and continuing our conversation on the very exciting Same. borrowing base. What the heck <laughs> is a borrowing base? So yes. folks, if you're just joining us for the first time, got a lot of new people jumping on board, we're continuing a conversation that we started in our last episode on borrowing basis. So you might want to go back to that episode and do a little bit of a catch up. Even if you don't, I think this conversation will have value. We always recommend what we really think you should do because everything we say is so helpful <laughs> is go back to episode one and start there <laughs> and then catch up because you will be so glad you did. But in truth, I is a little bit in jest, but also in truth, I mean, our purpose for being, our purpose for doing this is because we believe that there are thousands of businesses out there on the planet we're in the United States, but even beyond the United States, that really are not meeting their potential. They're hitting plateaus and they're hitting points at which they need to really rethink how they're approaching growth and do it from a purposeful, ordered approach to really go beyond their the, this plateau and to how, really become the best version emerge? of themselves. How, how do they, they emerge? Yes, exactly. From that's, their peers. This is yes. why we do it. So seriously, that's why we do this. And that's what we're trying to do is make the time you spend with us well, well worth should be this investment of 20 minutes should be well worth your time as far as how you can grow your business and yourself personally. Yes. So with that, let's get back to the barroom base. So we went last time about just the mechanics. What is it? How it works? Let's now talk about what do we want to start with, Eric? For people who have one or people who don't have one yet? I think people who... Do not have one. Do not have one. Yeah, let's do right. that. Let's okay. do that. Do not have one. So you may be thinking to yourself, that's good, Eric, because otherwise the people who don't have one may be clicking stop right now. Yeah. So, don't, <laughs> so hang with us, because if you don't have a line of credit with a borrowing base right now, this is something you might want to consider. Let's say I'll give, we'll give two reasons why you want to consider it. One is because you could have been financing your working capital in the past via other means, via internal right. cash flow, via real estate finance, who knows what else. And you could be doing this, you could be using a borrowing base to finance your working capital. So you can get cash out of your business that you can now use for your other high return investments, right? Like let's say you've got a million dollars, $5 million trapped in working capital in your business. It is, that's $5 million in your customer's bank account, in your warehouse, not in your bank account, that's $5 million you cannot use to invest in your next growth project, which should be returning you return on equity somewhere between 20 and 40%, or you shouldn't be doing it, right? right? So that's 20 to 40% return on equity you're not getting because you can't get access to that capital. You can do working capital finance, yeah, and your way co- lower yeah, rate. Yeah, and your, yeah, your cost of capital and, probably and in today's environment more in the uh, 6 to 8%, let's say. Right. So this is a t- if you're not doing this right now, you should be thinking about it. Now, size matters. If you have accounts receivable less than a million dollars, this is going to be difficult to get into place. 
just from a practical standpoint, the the bank or whatever lender you're dealing with has to do the kind of the same work and underwriting. It's not worth it to them if you have only $100,000 of accounts receivable or $100,000 of inventory. When you get above a million of accounts receivable, and that's not a hard rule, but that's in general, a million of inventory, a million of accounts receivable, you start being part of this world. Yeah. Right? Where your banker will probably even come to you with an offering yeah. on it. But David, for the folks who say, well, that's great. I don't have a million dollars in, in my AR. That doesn't mean that you're off, it's off the table, but it's just you're, you're going to be kind of put into a different category, if you will, from a lending perspective. They're going right. to look more at your personal. They, they, may tie, they may still do the same thing, but tie a personal guarantee to it. Yes, yes. Well, as you get bigger, there, there's usually not a personal guarantee attached no. to this type of finance, which is really nice for a lot of business owners to think yeah. about. Yeah. Right. So absolutely. And, and keep in mind, we're talking about a million dollars of healthy AR. If your yeah. AR became a million dollars because no one's paying you, this is not going to be something that's going to work out, right? The bank will discount your overdue AR and not let you borrow against it. So it's good to know you've got this tool because we know there's some challenging things going on in our economy right now. If you haven't been using this, you might want to consider it. Well, yeah, that'd be the other one is they would talk about, uh, you talk about the ability to, to lever those assets that may be unlevered right now and use it for hopefully these other projects that could be providing significantly greater returns than the cost of that capital. The other could be, hey, my, my business is slowing down a little bit. I haven't borrowed in the past, but I, I need maybe just a, a little temporary means to get past this time. And you've got this, these assets that you could lever. Right. There's an opportunity for you to go get that cash if cash starts getting tight in, mm-hmm. in your business. Caution flag, though. Yes. <laughs> Caution flag. Tell us about it. This is not an open checkbook. And then say, okay, well, that's just great. And, and you you just keep avoiding the real issues inherent in your business in a slowdown. It, it can help bridge for you, particularly if you haven't levered in the past, but it is not just this open checkbook that right. you then can just use willy-nilly. And, and like you said, I think in the last episode, Eric, is don't use this to fund losses elsewhere. If you've got working capital trapped and you haven't been financing it or tapping into it, this could be a great way to free that capital. Yeah. Free that capital for other challenges or to fund growth. Yeah. But if you're just using this constantly going up in your borrowing base because you're constantly losing money somewhere else, right. you're just going to get yourself into trouble. It's going to hit you right. at, at some point in time. Right. And, and as we said before, too, as it slows down, if the business slows down, this is relatively safe financing because theoretically, should your AR inventory come down, that will create cash because that's the way AR comes down is people pay you. That creates cash. You take that cash, you pay that bank back. Yeah. As long as you're on top of it, this is relatively safe and works pretty well. You get the cash in from the customer, put it elsewhere, you're in trouble, right? Yeah. But Eric, even for someone who says, all right, I get that that's a tool out there. I could use it. I don't want to. We've talked so much on this podcast and previous episodes about business valuation. This ties into valuation because, like Eric, if we're looking at a company and we're trying to figure out what a company is worth, what we do is we look at how would a buyer lever the assets of the business. Most buyers, they want to put minimal cash down because cash, their equity is expensive. They want to lever a lender's cash to the greatest extent they can. So they will look at your accounts receivable, your inventory, and your fixed assets, 
And they will say, how much could we borrow from the bank based on this? So even if you aren't doing working capital financing, a buyer will look at what they could do with working capital financing, and they will use that then to come up with what is a potential value of your business. They'll look at how much they can lever up safely. They'll look at then how much equity they have to put in in combination with that debt. And they'll use that to arrive at an enterprise value for your business. Yes. You and I, when we look at companies, try to understand what they might be worth. That's what we do. Yeah. But even if the business is not levered, you'd be here in corporate finance, like, you know, what's the ideal or optimal capital structure? We do a version of that, right? We look at what would the capital structure be of this business if it was fully fully optimized capital structure? Then we base a valuation based on that. Right, right. Oh, we know, David, that so much of the business valuation is tied to the interest rate, the discount rate that's being applied to the future cash flows. So whenever a buyer can come in and say, okay, I can lever these assets and I can I can pay an interest rate of you know six, seven, eight percent based on the current bank rates, well, that's a heck of a lot better than me writing an equity check right. that, as you said, you know twenty to forty percent. Twenty to forty percent. Right. And and so if I can lever those assets and use that as a means to fund this transaction, I'm going to be able to pay a higher price. Right, exactly. So this is actually, if, you, if you're a business considering being a seller of your business soon, this is something that can actually convince a buyer to pay more. Yeah. And in fact, in diligence, early on in diligence, actually, you know, I've done this many times when I have tried to evaluate the value of a business is part of the request list becomes early on What's your accounts receivable aging and your accounts payable aging? And to the extent we can get it, inventory aging, right? It's when a buyer asks that of you. And often they'll even say, you can take the customer names off for now. Yeah. They're not interested in poaching customers. I'd hope maybe there are some bad players out there, but usually what they're doing, they not only want to understand the account, the quality of your AR for the sake of where they get paid because they might buy this AR, but they're also thinking about what will my borrowing base be when yeah. I own this business, right? They're, they're now projecting out, they're calculating a borrowing base already. Yeah. And they're using that as a component yeah. in what they're going to offer you for your business. Yeah. yeah. No, and, and again, we, we started this off with the folks that are not currently using a borrowing base or they're not currently levering those assets. Now, for the folks who do have that, Again, applying it back to the valuation scenario is if you do have a significant amount outstanding on that line of credit, if you think about it, that's going to be a deduction in that in that valuation or it's going to be an excluded liability that the the new buyer is not going to want to pay. But you as an individual still have that responsibility. Mm -hmm. So that buyer could come in and and say, here, I'm going to pay you this, but I'm not going to take on this liability. So you have to pay that off. So you then, as an owner, have to take that that money from the transaction and, and buy it. That's right. That's, that's a really good point, Eric. Is like, like going back to our math example from the last episode, I think we arrived at, what, $20 million of assets and $13.5 million borrowing base. So a buyer will look at that, and they'll figure that they can do the same thing with their bank. So they're going to assign $13.5 million of enterprise value to that component of your business, the account receivable inventory. Now, if you have run your your uh, line of credit up to $13.5 million, well, the buyer is going to say, now, anything can be negotiated, but usually what they'll say is, 
I'm not taking on that line of credit. You have to pay that off with the funds I give you out of this transaction. So you have to understand as a, as a seller, you have already harvested the value of this at this yeah. point, right? You have an asset, effectively market value, 13.5 million. You've now got a debt, 13.5 million. You now have no longer have any equity in this part of the business. It's a wash, yeah. right? So we don't want to do is say, aha, well, I've got 13.5 million. They're going to pay me for it. I buy my yacht. No, you don't if your line of credit is already run up that high. Yeah. So important considerations you're thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Eric, in the next few minutes before we wrap this one, let's talk about, because we know today, here we are, May 2023, there are a lot of challenges in the market. There are a lot of people who suddenly their borrowing base is shrinking. Yeah. I know some companies that, that we're aware of had very large amounts of excessive availability four months ago. Yeah. And today they're at their limit just because right. things are well, shrinking. And, and Not because they've been growing are, yeah, so much. No, let's say even even if your business is staying steady, it's not growing anymore, it's not it's not declining, but it's staying steady. All of these economic factors that we're talking about that are that are a current event, they're impacting your customers. So your customers start paying you slower. Mm-hmm. Customers in paying you slower now all of a sudden they flip from being really good, solid, paying on 30-day type right. of customers and they're in your borrowing base and they start slipping and they get into that 90-day category. And as you said, you know, previously, now all of a sudden they're that available 85% on that particular customer, that customer got kicked out. So you just you right. just lost that. I think this informs some strategies here, right? So, because banks are, have designed these things really well. They, they know what they're doing. Yeah. They're really good at this. Yeah. And they're not doing it to catch us. They're doing it so they can have an early warning if things are deteriorating in the riskiness of these assets. Yeah. And when you're actually tactically one-on-one negotiating with a customer who's paying you, you can look and you can see, wait a second, this customer, they owe me an extra, I don't know, this $10,000 that they owe me is going to put 25% of their AR more than 90 days overdue, which is going to force me to throw out their entire account on my borrowing base. Sometimes you can go to that customer and say, look, pay me that 90 day. <laughs> I need, I just need the 10,000, right? Yeah. That's all I need right now. Cause that 10,000 brings your account so that it's I don't have 25% over 90 days overdue. We can talk about the, that over 90 day amount next week. But right now I owe a borrowing base to the bank <laughs> tomorrow. Right. I need 10 grand just you know, to, to make sure that things don't escalate here, right? So there's there's individual customer level strategies you can do. You know, other other things we can look at is just general aging, also payables, right? We can look at this can become a challenge, and this you know, in the short term, this can help. If I've got a vendor who I'm already 90 days overdue with, and they're okay riding it out a few more weeks. At this point, usually once they hit over 90 days overdue, the entire balance I owe to them is going against me on my borrowing base. Right. So paying them doesn't help my borrowing base at all. Right. If I've got another vendor who's about to become 90 days overdue, paying them can prevent that balance from becoming over 90 days overdue, further deteriorating my borrowing base. Yeah. Now, again, 
This is only if that vendor who's way out there, even older, is okay with letting it ride for a few more weeks. You've got to yeah. be really careful with relationship management here. Yeah. But sometimes sometimes you can even have a dialogue with them. Say, look, I can get you this in a few weeks. I can't get it to you right yeah. now. Yeah. So it becomes a almost surgical customer by customer, vendor by vendor decision sometimes. Right. It's imagining this thing. That's what we do when things get really tight. Really right? tight. I mean, this is not the best use of time for an owner or manager of a business who is, should be really working on their competitive advantage, right? Their yeah. culture, right? Things like yeah. that. This is for when things get really tight and you're down on the wire in this barroom base and suddenly you as the CEO or the president have to get involved with this barroom base and really go and start understanding at this point, it can become surgical line by line negotiation and decision making. Right. right. But keep in mind, if you're doing that, you're buying yourself some time. Right. You can't keep paying the under 90 day people while the over 90 day people keep getting older and older and older. You've got a time bomb getting ready to blow up on you. Right. right. I mean, I've seen this in the market. Fortunately, it's not anyone I know directly, but vendors actually becoming so frustrated that they threw a company into chapter 11 yeah. and the company went away right. over it. Right. So, well, you, no, and you mentioned too, David, that, that uh, I think in, in previous episode where we talked about the borrowing base mechanics that oftentimes the bank will also look at those over 90-day payables and say, hey, that's a reduction in the borrowing base because we don't want you getting into that situation with your vendors. And so right. it's, it's, again, part of that disciplinary process. And as you said, getting laser focused in a challenging time, sometimes going and paying that over 90-day balance and stopping that vendor from getting into that category might also positively impact yeah. your borrowing base calculation. And so yeah. just just all of those nuances. But a lot of that speaks to when you're really, really, really in a challenging time, which, you know, we talk about turnaround management and things of that nature, David, I know that we could really, really drill down into strategies in those really I tough think coming times. that's coming, I think yes. we'll be doing that, yes. Yeah. So, I, and I think just one final thought on this is I recommend to people, you know, the bank, when things can get tough like this, can seem like the bad guy. The bank could become the bad guy, especially if they decide they want to exit your investment. They can make things really difficult for you. But view your borrowing base structure, like I think you said it well, Eric, as a disciplining tool. Yeah. Even if you're not borrowing from a bank, still run your borrowing base because it's going to give you insight to, is my AR deteriorating? The quality of my AR, not, not just the amount, but the aging within it. Right? You could get a sample borrowing base template from someone who does have one. These aren't secret, right? And you could just run it on your business and understand all the time how your assets are deteriorating, performing, right? And this be, and even if you do have a bank and you're doing this, view them as a disciplining partner to keep your yeah. assets stronger. And hopefully this prevents you from ever getting to the point at which the bank becomes so alarmed that they want to exit your investment. Yeah. David, we always talk about this, that our time is that we spend here with this is, is meant to help businesses emerge from their peers. When you as a business owner understand this, then you view view the banks as a disciplining partner, if you will, but you're you're really not, you yourself need to understand it as good as the banks do. And discipline yourself. Discipline yourself because that's, that's what the banks want. They are a partner, but you know, at the end of the day, they're a business too. Yeah. And they make their money out of right. you paying them back. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, Eric, we're running out of time here. So mm-hmm. much more to say. I'm thinking we will continue to follow the situation in the, in the out there in the media. And 
I think regardless of where it goes, this is probably a good time to start talking about some turnaround topics. Yes. Yes. And hopefully these are topics that people can understand for strengthening their business and put in their pockets and use them when needed. Possibly they will need these topics immediately as we're talking about them. (laughs) We'll see. But we're we're praying for uh, a better future. So with that, folks, we'll wrap. Eric, let's get back to work. All right. All right.